Hi, welcome to the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Westwood, the Codependency Coach. Each week, I answer your questions on codependency, people-pleasing, and all things relationship-related submitted to me via Instagram. Follow me on the gram at Joe Westwood to submit your questions in my stories every Monday. You can also hit the link in the show notes to take you straight there. Okay, to kick us off, we've got two questions from Rita. Firstly, she asked, if he has emotionally abusive behavior and he's going to go to a therapist, is there hope? And secondly, when he tells me his hurtful words are not that bad, I gaslight myself. How do I trust my feelings? I actually answered the first question in the very first episode of the pod. So I'm going to take this opportunity to point you all in the direction of episode one for the fuller answer. But because it's such an important answer that I don't think we can hear enough times, I'm going to give you the potted version here too. So yes, it's technically possible for someone to change if they are really committed to it. But abusive people aren't often really committed to it. Claiming they're going to change and even going to a few therapy sessions is often just another manipulation technique. It's a performance to make you think that they're changing. And if you're codependent, you'll so desperately want to believe that they're changing that you'll focus more on the fact that they're going to therapy than if anything is actually changing. Also, you have no idea what is happening in those sessions. It's easy for even mental health professionals to be fooled by someone abusive and manipulative. They have no context for this person's behaviour outside of the one hour per week that they see this person. And I'd bet my bottom dollar that in 99% of the cases where emotionally manipulative people go to therapy, they spend the whole time talking about how abusive and manipulative and controlling you are. So they get their lies and exaggerations validated with the therapist. Then they'll come back and tell you how their therapist said that they think you're the issue with your controlling ways. Naturally, you'll believe it because your self-worth is low, and so the cycle continues. And my final point on sticking around while someone who has abused you goes to therapy is, how much longer are you willing to wait and keep being abused to find out if this person can and will sustainably change? Again, sustainable, long-term change. Not the performative short-term change that can sometimes happen, which lulls you into a false sense of security and will have you hanging around well beyond the mild positive shifts that you have seen. How long do you need to stay in this situation that is hurting you to see if someone can decide to treat you right when there are people out there who are already willing and able to be kind and loving? This abusive person is not your only option. Are they really worth more of your time, energy, and emotion? And yes, we can have empathy for people who had shitty upbringings that made them into the person they are today, but it does not mean that we have to be in relationships with them. Many of my clients had extremely traumatic childhoods, and many more experienced normalized, low-level abuse and neglect. And though they may be codependent and have their own addictions and dysfunctions, they have managed to not be abusive. Abuse is a choice. Trauma can be a cause, but it is never an excuse for abuse. All that to say, I am highly suspicious of any abuser who tells you they are going to therapy and going to change. Don't tell me, show me, homie. Now, Rita, to your second question. It's interesting because there's a level of awareness in the way that you phrased it. It's like you're on the verge of figuring it out, but you're not quite there. 
And that's great, by the way. I hope that with my response here, I can help tip you over the edge into full awareness and not putting up with that shit any longer. So you said, he tells me his hurtful words are not that bad, which tells me that you know his words are hurtful. You're not gaslighting yourself to the level that you don't even realise that the words are hurtful. And you know that they are more hurtful than he wants you to think they are, because you can see that he is trying to convince you otherwise. The good thing here is that you're able at least to identify that your feelings are being hurt. Now we need to help you practice validating those feelings. And up top here, I also want to validate you and tell you that if it feels hurtful, that is valid. Trust that. No, you don't need to grow a thicker skin. No, you're not too sensitive. Think about it. If someone, anyone, not least your significant other, told you that something you said to them was hurtful, even if you didn't think it was that big of a deal, would you minimize their feelings and tell them it's not that bad? Or would you apologize and make a mental note not to say that again? Yeah, I thought so. Use your own morality as a guide. If you wouldn't treat someone that way, it's okay, reasonable and acceptable to expect to not be treated that way. So hopefully you won't be in this situation for much longer. And I often have to resist the urge to tell people to just leave because I've seen enough of these patterns to know that these types of people do not change. But I know that one, it's not that easy to just leave. If it was, you'd have done it already. And two, it's more dangerous to leave before you're ready and then go bouncing back and forth in and out of the relationship. There's always more opportunity for enmeshment and trauma bonding when there's been a breakup and then you come back together. And so I always advise my clients that if you're going to leave, make sure that you are absolutely ready to leave and not go back. And three, it's not always safe to leave immediately. Sometimes you need to get some emotional and logistical support in place and make sure that you have somewhere to go and that you're protected in this most vulnerable phase, which is immediately after leaving. And of course, this is all made more complicated and difficult if you have children together. So with that in mind, if you don't feel able to leave right away or it's not safe for you to do so, what you need to do is stop bringing your hurt feelings to the abuser. They are the ones abusing you. They are not the one who is willing or able to soothe you. And you have told me that all they do is minimize your feelings. So stop opening yourself up to gaslighting and more diminishment of your feelings. They will also use this emotional opening as another way to get their hooks into you, further break down your sense of self-worth and mesh with you and keep you manipulated and stuck. When you feel hurt by something they said, start writing it down. It takes it from being something intangible, just words that can be easily forgotten or twisted, especially when we're being abused as we tend to feel foggy a lot of the time, and turns it into something solid and real, text on a physical piece of paper. It also helps you to remember exactly what was said. When you write down what was said, include the date and time, the context and how it made you feel, i.e. Sunday 21st of November, 2pm at dinner with his family, In front of everyone, he said, X, Y, Z. That made me feel humiliated and like I couldn't respond or like I just had to laugh along with it. I did try to laugh it off and act like it was just a joke, but actually it made me feel small and stupid and like I wanted to cry. 
You might also want to add in anything that has already happened or been said that you can remember well enough to write down. When you find yourself wondering if it's really that bad, go to this record of hurt and remind yourself of the truth of what's happening here. Then as many times as you have chance to, ask yourself the following questions and journal on the answers. Is this how you would speak to someone you care about? What would your reaction be if your friend told you their partner spoke to them this way? Do you think you deserve this treatment? If so, why? If you treated someone like this, would you expect them to stick around with you? How long are you willing to keep experiencing this abuse? What would you like to experience in a relationship instead? Hopefully, after a reasonably short amount of time, this practice might help you to feel self-validated enough to leave this dude in the dust. I promise you, you deserve more than this and there are good people out there who want to treat you kindly and hype you up as much as you should be hyped by the people who love you. As well as doing a lot of talking for a living, I sometimes write some of it down. So I'd like to do something a little bit different in this next segment. Inspired by some of what I shared in my answers to Rita's questions, I'm going to read you a piece that I wrote on my Medium account called Narcissists Feed Off All Your Emotions, Good or Bad, which should go some way to explaining why when you realise you're in an abusive situation with someone who is emotionally manipulative, that you need to cut yourself off as an emotional source for them in every way, including trying to communicate your hurt explain what they've done wrong and or getting angry with them or raging at them. So sit back, relax and enjoy this little tale that I wrote for you about narcissistic people. It took me quite a while, like about 30 years, to figure out that narcissists feed off of all your emotions, good and bad. I mean, technically they are still human beings, so of course they would prefer your good vibes, but if they can't get those, any emotional response will do. They just need to be fed. Narcissists in their younger lives experience some form of trauma. It could be anything from an emotionally unavailable parent to addiction in the family to a teacher that belittled them to physical or sexual abuse, which triggers a deep shame response in them. The depth of the shame response and the lack of cultivated resilience, which would otherwise have been developed with the help of healthy, supporting emotional structures family, guardians, mentors, triggers the need to cut off that part of the emotional body. I envisage that the shame creates a blackness, and if the emotional body matches the physical body in stature and shape, the blackness is pushed deep down into the gut and that part of the body is sealed shut. The aim of the narcissist is to never have to access or deal with this pit of shame. The issue with shoving all your shame and perceived darkness away is that human beings are creatures of contrast. We are not only one thing, always. We must experience both sides of all things to fully understand and contextualise our own existence. We cannot appreciate sweet if we have never tasted salty. We cannot fully appreciate joy if we have not experienced pain. And the extent to which we can feel and experience one thing in life opens up the potential to experience its equal and opposite force just as deeply. So when you lock away all your deepest pain, as narcissists do, you equally cannot access your own positive emotions that are created and truly come from within. Narcissists can absolutely respond to stimuli, 
pride at a promotion at work or satisfaction at buying a new car. They can also mimic emotions they have seen other people express, such as happiness at a wedding, but they cannot feel true inner joy, contentment, pleasure or peace. They can only leech these feelings from others. Narcissists specifically go in search of people who are emotionally open or vulnerable, such as codependents, empaths, intuitives and highly sensitive people. They fit together like a hand in a glove. Codependents and empaths need to feed and narcissists need to be fed. Codependents and empaths need to heal and narcissists have a wound that can never be healed. So if you find yourself in relationship with a narcissist, you have become their source. They cannot draw power from their own inner source because they cut that off long ago. They can only draw power from outside of themselves. It's like your neighbour tapping into your electricity supply because theirs got cut off and you're left wondering why your bill is so high every month. When you become the source for a narcissist, what you must realise is that they draw their energy from your negative emotions as well as your positive ones. If you've ever been in a relationship with a narcissist, you will notice that when they cannot elicit a good response from you, they will simply do more to provoke a bad one. Rage is not as pleasant a drug to swallow as love, but it is as potent to the narcissist. Because narcissists cannot access their own emotions, they cannot feel empathy. So they care little for how damaging it is to make you angry, miserable, rageful, bitter or scornful. They will either simply manipulate you back to an equilibrium with them, or they will discard you for a better, less worn out source. When you understand this, you can finally understand that the only way to be released from narcissistic abuse is not to try to heal them or love them more or try harder or be kinder, but to get out. Your pain feeds them as much as your love and joy. You cannot kill them with kindness. They eat it up. You cannot scream them into submission. It recharges them all the same. A narcissist wants whatever you have to give with nothing offered in return. So the sanest thing you can do is unhook their supply completely and get out. I've linked to my Medium account in the show notes if you'd like to read that article. And in the coming weeks, I will also begin posting the transcripts of all the answers from the pod over there too. So you have a whole library of codependency support at your fingertips, as well as for your listening pleasure. And as we're on the topic, let's do this one from Faye who asked, Is it normal to wonder if someone you love is a narcissist, but not want to believe it? Again, an interesting way to phrase the question. I'm going to take it at face value and say, no, it's not normal because it's not normal to be narcissistic, nor is it normal to have found yourself in a situation where you have fallen in what you think is love with someone who has manipulated and abused you. It's actually addiction and enmeshment if they're narcissistic, but you're probably mistaking the intensity for love. Both these things are dysfunctional and so very much off the scale of what's normal in a healthy relationship. But though they're not normal, they are surprisingly common. This is a very familiar experience for codependent people and people with an anxious attachment style. So let me break down what to do next if this is your situation. If you're worried that your partner might be narcissistic, It's also natural to not want that to be the case for a few reasons. Firstly, it's kind of terrifying. Like, what does that even mean? 
Does it mean that everything you thought you had with this person isn't real? Does it mean you don't even know who they are? I remember the feelings that I got when I was told by a therapist that I was married to a narcissist. It felt like the ground beneath my feet had become molten and I felt instantly paranoid and anxious. That intensity of feeling didn't leave me for a few days afterwards. I felt like I was holding this huge secret that I wasn't supposed to know. I also remember the horrible sensation of feeling like I'd been tricked or conned. And I was also scared of what he might be capable of and whether he would be able to tell that I now knew. No one wants to feel like any of that. And of course, if you think you're in love with this person or at least you're committed to them, you don't want it to be true. You want it to be something more manageable or fixable. The best and most helpful resource I can recommend for you that goes in depth on what it looks like to be in a relationship with a narcissist in any area of your life and gives really helpful real world examples of patterns and behaviors is the brilliant book Sweet Relief from the Everyday Narcissist by Melissa Schenker and Tina Moody. I've included a link in the show notes so you can grab a copy if you wish. As I've mentioned, it's quite a shocking and upsetting realization when you figure it out. There's often a period of denial and checking, double checking, trying to make things change and giving second chances, sometimes even including the mistake of confronting the narcissist with this newfound information in the hopes that it will make them see the error of their ways and want to get help. Of course, regardless of whether this person is narcissistic or not, the only thing you ever really need to know about a relationship is, are you happy? Do they treat you well and make you feel safe, secure and loved? Do you feel like it's an energetic and emotional net gain, not a net drain? If the answer is no, and they can't or won't change to meet you halfway, it really doesn't matter what the origin of the issue is. What matters is that relationships are work So there's really no point being in one if it isn't adding something great to your life. So in this period, try to identify and validate your own feelings. If you can get a copy of Sweet Relief, check that out and try to ground yourself in the reality of your situation rather than the fantasy of what you wish it was instead. And I want to finish by letting you know that you are certainly not alone in this experience. It's not pleasant or easy to go through, but you have a whole community of people were very easy to find, who are ready to support you through whatever your next moves are. And finally, this from Lil, who asked, when is it too early to say I love you? I've been dating a guy for about six months, but worry about taking it too fast or if feelings are genuine. Okay, Lil, so this is a bit of a how long is a piece of string sort of question, but there are some guiding principles I can offer and some questions I'd like to ask that might help you clarify how you feel. This also seems to be a bit of a hot topic at the moment. I don't know if it's because it's coughing season and relationships are on the brain for a lot of people or those late summer romances are now starting to bear fruit. But it's something we've been discussing in my Wildly Worthy community, as well as something that's come up in personal conversations with my friends. I'm going to start by giving my general feeling on this topic, including my summary of some very thorough empirical research, a survey of straight men by Cosmo that I found online. So, as I mentioned a moment ago, based on the discussions we were having in Wildly Worthy, I did attempt to look up if there is a common timeline for saying those three little words. 
what I'd personally love to see is a large scale survey comparing when people felt that they were in love with their partner versus when they said it. But in lieu of that, we've got a limited Cosmo survey of cishet blokes. The general consensus seemed to be somewhere between three to nine months for making the declaration, though there was variation on either end of this. Some people saying they felt it after a matter of weeks, others saying it took more than a year. Of course, this is where the how long is a piece of string part comes in. In a monogamous relationship, there are lots of variables that are going to affect this timing, including, but not limited to, how emotionally available both partners are, bearing in mind the scale of emotional availability from avoidant to anxious. Either one or both of you could be way too open to reasonably be called healthy. Likewise, either one or both of you could be comparatively closed off. Then there's how fast the relationship has moved. How much momentum has there been behind it? How long have you been together and how often have you seen each other or spent talking during that time? And did you know each other before? If you've been best mates for five years and then it turned into a romance, the ILYs might come much sooner than if you met someone for the first time on a dating app. Of course, then there's your respective personal life experiences to throw into the mix. Some people naturally love more quickly or are more comfortable identifying and sharing their feelings more quickly than others. I wish that saying I love you wasn't viewed as such a vulnerable thing drenched in so much pressure. But then I'm a codependent Cancerian ENFP Enneagram 7 who even with five years active recovery and an attachment style getting closer to secure every day still loves hard and fast. With the ability to see situations more clearly than I've ever had before, better boundaries and the ability to let things go that don't or won't work for me, I'm still a lover. I've got some solid consistent recovery under my belt and it turns out it didn't turn my heart to stone. In fact, I'm probably more open to love, real, consistent, secure love, than I ever have been. So that's what I have to say on timing. In terms of straight logistics and with no further information about you and your relationship, I'd say six months isn't too soon. It seems a perfectly reasonable amount of time to have had to get to know someone enough to know if you love them or not. As for whether your feelings are genuine or not, do you identify as codependent? What's your experience with love been before? Has it been dysfunctional? Does this feel different? Does it feel secure and steady? Or does it feel like an emotional roller coaster? Do you feel fulfilled by this relationship? Does it feel sustainable? If you can answer all those questions clearly and truthfully with positive sentiment, then I think the only other test is if you're thinking it often or thinking about saying it or it's almost falling out of your mouth in kind of natural moments. In that case, then you're probably ready to say it. Here's the kicker about saying three of the most high pressure words in the English language and exactly what makes them feel so vulnerable to share. We can't know for sure if the other person feels the same and is going to say them right back. No one wants the dreaded thank you. And yet, that's the thing you ultimately have to be okay with and is a pretty good test of if your feelings are genuine. If you could feel secure in knowing that you love this person and so expressing it is just a natural extension of that, and regardless of whether they say it back in that moment or not, your feelings towards them won't change, nor will you saying it first create any kind of power play or emotional inequity between you, then I'd say your feelings are probably real and you're ready to put words to those feelings. 
And I'd like to remind you, my lovelies, that my codependency recovery community, Wildly Worthy, is open now. For just £44 a month, you can get access to a weekly 90-minute Q&A coaching call with me, as well as my full online codependency recovery course and a community of people who are all on this recovery journey with you. So that means a totally supportive, judgment-free zone. Wildly Worthy is open to all women and female socialized non-binary people. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to, or follow the pod. It helps more people to find us and join the movement to have healthier, more fulfilling relationships. Mm -hmm.